Welcome, everyone. My name is Mike Verbsky, and you are listening to Limitless. This podcast is brought to you by the Academy of Amputation and Limb Difference Physical Therapy. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Limitless. Again, my name is Mike Verbsky. For those of you that listened to my first couple podcasts, welcome back. And if you're new, welcome aboard. Today, I'm thrilled to be able to introduce you to Dr. Paulinda Rye, board-certified physiatrist. And his specialty and his passion is working with folks that have gone through limb difference and limb loss surgery, as well as the wound care issues that come up throughout the course of their rehabilitation. So, Dr. Rye, good morning. How are you? Good morning, uh, Michael. Thank you so much, and thank you for having me. Thank you for putting together such an important uh, podcast on on a topic that is becoming more and more concerning for patients over the last few years. Absolutely, absolutely. So, Dr. Rye, how did you become interested in working with this patient population? Well, so I um, trained as a physiatrist, and in uh, the field of physical medicine rehab, we come across a lot of patients who've had catastrophic injuries, very often involving the, the uh, nervous system or musculoskeletal system. I happened to meet a few amputees during my training, really were very inspiring characters that, that I really loved treating. And, and I saw just how strong-willed people are when it comes to getting back to mobility and getting back to uh, meaningful living after an amputation. And I love the mechanics of the field. I love the, the idea of tinkering with, with prosthetics and coming up with new and novel ways to improve functional mobility uh, by replacing a patient's lost limb after such an injury. You see some tremendous outcomes when it's done properly uh, and when patients are encouraged properly. Uh, and to me, it was always a, a meeting ground for medicine and science and, you know, biomechanics. So I, I really loved the idea of it. And I started doing more and more of it. Over time, I, I became more interested in wound care as well. And I realized that the reason we're seeing so many amputees in the last few years is because of the diabetic crisis that we're all living through. And I, unfortunately, it seems as though it's on the rise. And I imagine we'll be seeing more and more patients who uh, suffer limb loss in their lifetimes. So we have to all be very, very ready for it. And we should all get very, very good at it. Absolutely. I agree with you, Dr. I. You know, since you already touched on that a little bit, you know, one of the major issues that we deal with in therapy and that we address through the rehabilitation process as a full team is the care of that intact foot and the intact lower extremity, because obviously that intact side is so important to, nice. towards the goals and the progress and the patient's overall recovery. From a physician's point of view, uh, what do you look for in terms of maintaining that patient's intact side? Yeah, it's a, it's a fantastic question. Um, so something that's very important for patients to understand, not just the clinicians or the providers who are working with them, but really patients and patients' families have to understand that the disease process that had, had affected the affected limb also exists in the contralateral limb. I, I, should, I should mention or start out by saying that most amputations in the U.S. happen as a result of the complications of diabetes mellitus type two. So roughly, you know, 80 or 90% of the amputations done annually are related to complications of diabetes. When patients do have diabetes, the statistics are that about 90% of 
diabetics in the U.S. are type 2 diabetics, meaning diabetes not present during childhood or, or at birth, but rather diabetes that is the result of activity or lifestyle uh, choices and all. So it's important for them to understand that the disease process that affected that limb in the first place also exists in generally the same or similar severity in the contralateral limb. When a patient loses a leg, so much attention should be paid to preserving or preventing any insult or injury to that contralateral limb because there are very few diabetics who actually undergo amputation in their lifetime. It's only about 1% of diabetics who actually will suffer amputation. But there's just such a tremendous number of diabetics in the country. So a very small percentage of a very large number is still a very large number. So when a patient has diabetes, it's usually an inciting factor, such as uneven pressure in the foot uh, that causes a wound or a, a small scrape or a trauma, you know, or, or classically the, the nail in the shoe story where a patient walks on a on a nail or a, a we both heard that story a hundred times over. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and they'll, you know, the, the nail will, will break the skin and they very often may not know about it because they have such bad neuropathy in that foot. So they don't feel the pain and they walk around for days or weeks with, with an open wound that can easily get infected. And that, that very often precipitates the cascade that leads to the amputation. So what we want to encourage patients to do is understand that the disease process is similar in the contralateral limb and not to be scared because of it, but to actually just be cautious because of it to make sure that they check their skin regularly. And by that, we mean at least once a day. Very often diabetics will, will have visual changes as well, meaning their eyesight, it may be poor. So, so it's very important to not just rely on a patient's own ability to inspect their own limb uh, or their contralateral uh, foot, but to also have a family member or a caregiver be involved in the process, in particular, if, if we're looking for wounds on the bottom side or the, the plantar aspect of the foot, because patients can often miss those. So skin checks daily, at least, are very, very important, as is wearing proper footwear. So when a patient has diabetes, if they are prone, they're prone to neuropathy. And because of the neuropathy, they're also prone to developing Charcot changes, which I'm sure we've all seen in practice. With these Charcot changes, what happens with, with, with the anatomy of the contours of the foot is that the the bony architecture of the foot actually changes and you end up having parts of the foot that were never meant to bear pressure. Uh, you lose the arch of the foot, you lose the, the, you lose the structural integrity of the foot, and you can often develop diabetic foot ulcers if your footwear does not accommodate for those irregular contours in that charcoal foot. So if you have a diabetic patient, you want to encourage them to follow with their podiatrist or their prosthetist orthotist to get uh, a pair of diabetic shoes and that uh, a pair of diabetic shoes that are wide and high enough to accommodate their forefoot. And you also want to make sure that they have a, if they need a custom molded insert to accommodate the uneven contours of the, of the changes in the architecture of the foot. Diabetic socks is an important component uh, so that we reduce the risk of friction in their footwear and just a vigilance and understanding that they have to maintain care of that contralateral limb so they can hopefully indefinitely throughout their lives prevent a contralateral limb amputation. Absolutely. And you mentioned some things as far as the diabetic socks and the diabetic shoes and frequent skin checks. From you know, a therapy point of view, one of the things we're always promoting is, you know, checking the bottoms of the feet, checking the skin. Like you said, you know, having the families involved in their care, but also giving the patients the assistive devices and empowering them and putting the onus and some responsibility back on the patient to yeah. check their own feet. So we do those long handled mirrors. 
Uh, So they can really see the bottoms of their feet. And that also plays into care of the residual limb because we tell them to check the bottom of their residual limb and often they can't see that either. So that long handled mirror also changing socks frequently, you know, this time Mm -hmm. of year may not be so bad because it's December, it's cold, Mm -hmm. but as the weather warms up and people are sweating more, they're more active, they're out and about not just checking their feet, but potentially changing their socks frequently. You know, even sometimes those moisture wicking socks that they have out on the market can be beneficial because it helps keep the feet and the skin a little drier as well. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Great points. Yeah. A a little mirror goes a long way. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. You'd mentioned a little bit as far as, you know, some of these wound care issues. What do you see in terms of wound care issues that we really need to focus on both residual limb as well as on that intact side? Yes, wounds and and wound care, uh, skin integrity. This is a lifelong concern for patients, whether their amputation was secondary to diabetes or, or otherwise. And a patient who uses a prosthetic, their limb will continually change shape throughout the remainder of their lives. They lose volume in their limb, edema loss, very often long-term because of muscle atrophy, as the muscles aren't being used the same way anymore. So what happens is the patients can often find themselves fitting rather poorly in their sockets if they're not following up regularly with either the prosthetist or keeping a close eye on how many prosthetic socks they're using to make sure they ensure a good fit so pressure and poor socket fit is always a culprit when it comes to wounds in an amputated patient. And again, if they have diabetes uh, or peripheral vascular disease, what happens is the wounds that they develop suffer from a significant delay in healing because the body's not able to close the tissues or repair the tissues in the same way or at, or at the same speed. They're also much more prone to infection. So when, when patients develop wounds, we want to find them early. When they have wounds, we want to heal them quickly. One of the things I usually recommend, in addition to close inspection of not just the contralateral limb, but also close inspection of the prosthetic amputated side, before and after use of the prosthesis. And when you begin to use a prosthesis, I would, I would recommend a wearing schedule. And, 100%. And, yeah, we teach the same thing. Mm-hmm, yeah, and, and I would start usually, my recommendation is is to start the prosthetic wearing schedule only once the residual limb has fully healed. So meaning a wound really should be pristine before we start to put pressure on it. Because when we put them into the prosthetic socket, there's a lot of shearing that happens with every step. And, and that can certainly cause complications or delayed healing or even wound dehiscence if the wound has not matured sufficiently. So to give ballpark estimates, we usually estimate three to five weeks after a below knee amputation, you know, three to four weeks after an above knee amputation, which are the two most common levels that we'll be seeing in practice. The the wearing schedule can start in anywhere from one to two hours a day, but I would be very cautious with, with new or fresh wounds and wait till all the incision has healed and the staples or sutures have been taken out and then you can begin to stress it. We certainly want them to wear a shrinker on that limb to further reduce edema and help expedite wound healing by helping the, the good uh, healthy tissues to approximate or, or, or adhere better to themselves. Once we do start the wearing schedule, to check the skin at the residual limb after each session in therapy, you know, with the with the team and make sure the patients aren't in pain. If they do complain of pain, that's one of those telltale red flags that we should stop ambulation, check the limb, you know, ensure a good socket fit 
And if we have trouble, you know, call the prosthetic teams to come in and take a look and um, see if we need to troubleshoot the fit of the socket at all. I'm on the inpatient side of the world as far as rehab goes. We tend to really keep those first couple of days, maybe the first week of the wearing schedule to be in the therapy session alone. Right. That way the therapists, we can, you know, monitor. And we always have, of course, that direct line of communication, right. not only with the physiatry and the wound care team, but also with the prosthetist so that we can troubleshoot things on the fly. You know, oftentimes when patients are hanging out in their rooms over the course of the day, no one's watching them to the same level of intensity, right. if you will. So some of those wounds could go a period of time. It might even be the next day before we would catch that. Right, right. And, then, and another important point along those lines is, you know, uh, for the most part, you know, therapists are incredibly vigilant uh, over what's happening with their patients when they're treating them. Unfortunately, I mean, many of us have seen it firsthand. When a patient goes back to their room, very often, you know, they can spend you know, several, several hours at a time in a certain position, whether it's sitting in the wheelchair or in bed and, and they won't, they won't complain because they're resting comfortably. But if the prosthetic is on them, it's important to understand that even a prosthetic that's being worn, not during ambulation can also cause wound issues. In particular, if the patient is wearing the prosthetic in a knee flexed position, the posterior brim of that socket can dig into the, the back of the popliteal fossa and, and create wounds there. And again, these patients are sometimes so neuropathic, they may not feel that pain that's, that's caused by the pressure. And then you end up with, you know, with a big wound after just a, a, you know, a few hours of being, you know, poorly positioned. So when we're talking about wearing schedule, I include not just time spent in the therapy gym, but also time spent in the room or at home or in their wheelchair as they're first learning to use the prosthetic. And, and we may want to limit how much they use the prosthetic when they're not ambulating, even more so than, than we limit it when they are ambulating, because that's very often where we see most bad wounds develop. Yeah. And even if it's not a open wound at first, those, we see it often with patients where they get blisters, yep. especially around that very sensitive skin around the surgical site. And yep. uh, even just simply a blister, yep. while for you and me may not be a big deal for yep. them, it potentially means we can't wear the prosthetic and continue exactly. their training yeah. and continue yeah. working towards their goals and functional outcomes. And then it's, then it's lost time and lost days in therapy. It has a, a big impact on them, unfortunately. Unfortunately, you're right. Yes. How do you promote in that respect in, in the teaching of the patients to monitor the fit of their, of their socket and the, the ply of, of socks that they're wearing? So that's, that's a challenging thing. I mean, with any type of education, you know, you know, patient education or otherwise, you know, repetition is, is of, of utmost importance. You know, this is the first time any of these patients are having to think about these types of things. So, you know, one of what, one of the things that I do is I, I give them nice, thorough explanation with, with very commonplace everyday metaphors. And I, I let them know that they're prosthetic socket is like a cup or, a, or a, a bucket that they fit into and their limb is fitting into that cup with a perfect fit and if that fit is not perfect they can they can bottom out is what I call it and they mm -hmm. can end up developing wounds on bony prominences or on, on parts of the limb that that aren't soft and, and resistant to pressure. So I, I go over it with them. I, I use visual aids. I usually make a, you know, I usually use my hand to make a cup on one side and I use my other hand to make a fist and pretend that that's the residual limb. I try to use as many visual cues as possible so they start to see it 
and, and make sense of it. And then I explain limb shrinkage because that's a, a very real concern over the, the, the course of their lives, in particular the first year or two after an amputation. Uh, and then I tell them uh, that they're going to be using socks to make up for that volume loss or that, that size loss in their limb. And we make sure that the prosthetist that they're working with provides them with, with numerous ply on socks. And I try to tell them that your limb will not just change size from you know week one to week four or from month one to month four, but it'll also change size from you know hour one of your day to hour four or hour 10 of your day. So you may put on your leg in the morning, it's nice and tight, and then you walk around on it, and then all of a sudden you start developing pain around 11 a.m. or noontime. Well, that's because you're sinking down into the socket. So you may have to actually stop, take a break, or sit in a chair, take your leg off, and then add sock plies throughout the day to accommodate those volume changes in the limb. And when you explain it to them in that way, they start to understand what a real concern it is, and it actually improves their comfort long-term so they can use the prosthetic more hours throughout the day, increase their wearing schedule, Repetition on that teaching is what's most important. So, you know, for, it's, it's great if the physician can do it. It's great if the, the therapist can do it. It's great if the PT can do it. It's great if the OT can do it. It's great if the nurse can do it. But it's wonderful if everybody can do it. And if everybody does it in that first week or two, especially every time they're meeting the patient for the first time, the patient really starts to understand that this is something that everybody on the team cares about. And, and hopefully it sticks a bit better with them. Well, I think you hit on two very big points right there. One of them is obviously the education where we're working. We give patients a binder of education starting on day one. And then systematically, we add more and more education right. to that binder. And, and it's just simply because it is so much information that they're being thrown right. and the information yep. overload, they're not going to, even if it's not for vascular dementia, or vascular mm -hmm. issues, things like that, there's just so much coming at them right. that- right. We add piece by piece by piece. And then when they leave us and they're discharged back to the community, right. they have a significant binder with all this information. Mm -hmm. And then so through those yeah. handouts and the, the verbal education, they really get a chance to take it all in. I think the other piece of that is the caregivers. And especially right now in, in an environment where visitation can be limited or caregivers can't come into the facilities or some of this training, mm -hmm. they have that binder of information also so that they can pick it up where we leave off. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's just, it's, let's face it, the, the realm of prosthetic care, prosthetic management, and for these patients to take care of themselves, we've spoken a lot already about comorbidities mm -hmm. as well as the current surgery that they've undergone. There's just knowledge upon knowledge and information everywhere where these patients, I mean, yeah. you and I do it every day. It's almost easy for us to keep up and we yeah. still have to research on a regular basis for everything. It can be overwhelming. I mean, this is something that for, for patients, I always tell them, your brain was not expecting this. Your body wasn't expecting this. This is a, a catastrophic change to your, your body and, and lifestyle. And, you know, it's going to take some time to get used to all the different things that are involved with maintaining the functional mobility and, and a and a full you know, lifestyle using a prosthetic. But once they do get the hang of it, uh, they can do really incredible things. Mm -hmm. Absolutely.
So we've touched on this next topic a couple of times already through rehab, through their recovery process. I know I do it really promoting that relationship between the, the patient and their prosthetist. And especially as it is a lifelong relationship. What are some of the big points that you see where, you know, when you're, when you're making that match between the prosthetist and the patient and the family to succeed? Right. Well, well, the first thing is that you have to emphasize the importance of the prosthetist to the patient because they, in most patients, most people have never heard of a prosthetist before. Most True. people never had to know what one was. So when a patient undergoes an amputation, the first person that very often their vascular surgeon or their, their doctor will tell them to contact is a prosthetist. And then they'll say, what? And then you'll have to explain what a prosthetist is to them. And they, they may still not quite understand, you know, and a, a prosthetist is not just somebody who delivers a leg to a patient, but they're an engineer, they're a clinician, they're, they're somebody who actually fits a limb and custom molds it to a patient's anatomy. And then they troubleshoot biomechanically the types of things that a patient, you know, would uh, need to consider to ensure proper alignment of the limb, to make sure that there's a selection of the proper component. And that's a, that's a very involved process. It, it's, it's a process that involves consideration of a patient's lifestyle, it involves consideration of a patient's comorbidities and their tolerance to skin breakdown, their tolerance to activity. It's certainly important to go into it knowing about the different functional levels that patients are uh, going to be uh, held to in terms of the K levels and, and making sure that we have ideally quantifiable assessments like an AMPRO or an AMPNOPRO score, or at least a timed up and go score that we can provide the process with so that they can get the patient the equipment they, they need or they deserve to meet their functional goals. And that being said, yes, once a patient understands what a process is, it's also important to understand that, as you said, it is a lifelong relationship. Ideally, you want to make sure that you find a prosthetist that meets your needs, that's understanding, that takes time with you, and that gets you the equipment that you deserve and, and doesn't see you as a quick fix, but as a patient who they plan on supporting throughout that patient's life. There are some incredible prosthetists out there, you know, in, in every territory. You just have to know where to look for them and, and how to find them. You know, that being said, as, as with any specialty, there are some great clinicians and some not so great clinicians. Unfortunately, patients, when they're looking for a process, one of the things that they don't understand is that there actually is quite a bit of choice in the matter. There's, there's quite a selection of processes out there in most territories, and that patients should make informed decisions with regards to who they go to. You shouldn't have to search very far in more, most territories to find a good prosthetist, but you do want to try to find a process that has a great reputation. You can go on word of mouth from other patients by use of the social networks or, or the Empathy Coalition website. And there's various groups on Facebook and, and so on that can be used as resources in different territories to find prosthetists with good reputations. You can also go onto Google or Yelp and look up reviews. And you want to find a process that, that's friendly and, and approachable because you're going to be talking with them quite a bit throughout your lives if you're an amputee. So when you when you look for a process and you find somebody that, that you're interested in meeting, you should certainly visit their office and, and see what their workshop looks like. See if they manufacture limbs there at the, at the site of service or if they order out in a sense because that makes a big difference if the process makes the limb themselves you know that they're a high-end prosthetist, that they're not just a vendor of equipment, 
but they're actually a, a clinician or a or a or an engineer, a skilled engineer. One of the things I often recommend to patients when possible is to try to find a prosthetist that's fairly close to their home, because the further away the process is, the harder it is to get to appointment, and the more of a uh, hassle it becomes to follow up, and the less likely the patient, the family is to to do so. And you want to make it as easy as possible for these patients, you know, throughout the especially the first few years after the amputation, but really throughout the remainder of their lives, you don't want them to have to you know, run all over town looking for a prosthesis or trying to get into a prosthesis that's many, many uh, miles away. The other thing I would also mention is that, you know, it's a crude metaphor, but I always explain to patients your your limb, your, your prosthetic limb is like a car. It's a mechanical device. And just like for a car, you'll have a mechanic. And every time there's an issue with the with the car, you'll take the car to the mechanic to either get the oil changed or get the brakes done or get the car serviced, or if the, the transmission's making a funny sound, you, you take it to the mechanic. Same thing with the prosthetic limb. The prosthetist is going to be your mechanic. And if there's ever a problem with fit or comfort in the uh, prosthetic, you're gonna go back to the, to the prosthetist. If there's ever a click or a noise or a squeak coming from the leg and it doesn't seem right, first person you're gonna go to, you're gonna go to is the prosthetist. And you know that's an important thing for patients to understand so that they know that it's not just a one-time you know, deal, you get the leg and then you're good. It's a lifelong relationship that you're trying to build and you really want to find the right prosthetist. If you're with the prosthetist and you feel like you're not being well-served or you feel like you're being you know, overlooked or somehow you know, put off, again, there is a, a lot of competition in the field and I, I love when a good prosthetist meets a good patient and they have a great outcome. It really breaks my heart when I see a, a great patient meet meet a, a poor prosthetist or somebody that doesn't really put their passion into their work, and then I see the patient's outcomes suffer. So, you know, the the idea that it's a competitive field and the idea that patients have the right and the ability to choose uh, a prosthetist is a very important um, thing to emphasize with them. Absolutely. And as you hit on a couple of really big points there, one of which obviously being that lifelong relationship. I mean, you and I both keep coming back to that because it is true, you know, and I think the other piece that you hit on was, you know, knowing that that prosthetist, their specialty is that prosthetic leg. And, you know, if anything goes wrong or doesn't feel right or doesn't fit right with that prosthesis, that's where the patient needs to go back to the prosthetist. Mm -hmm. Um, not to self-diagnose the prosthetic, not to pull out the Allen key set from the garage and start trying to loosen and tighten stuff. Or the, or the, um, tape or the rubber bands. <laughs> yes. Rubber bands or, you know, du Long duct tape is not the way to go. I think you Long and I have seen it all, but even I tell the patients, listen, I'm not going to tinker with that either. You know, as much knowledge as I have with prosthetics, it still does not compare to what the trained professional, the certified prosthetist has oh, in his bag of tricks or her bag of tricks whoops. to to address those. What is it that you think it, the treating clinician, the professional needs to really know if they've never really worked with or they don't have a lot of experience with working with someone post uh, limb loss surgery? What is it they need to know when they're approaching that patient? Uh -huh. So, I mean, there's a lot of different ways to approach that. The, the more knowledge that a clinician has going into an interaction with the patient, the, the better the patient's going to do, the better, the more supportive the patient's going to feel, the more confidence the patient is going to have with that provider, whether it's a therapist or a physician or a prosthetist, 
you know, you really want to try to build the confidence that your patient has in your skill set by knowing your your craft. So, you know, so there's a lot that every provider who's working with amputees should know. But if there was any one place to start, I would say uh, it's at goal setting. And what I particularly mean by that is that the clinician who first meets that patient has the honor and the responsibility and the incredible weight of having to create those patients' first expectations for what is going to be possible after this amputation, after this catastrophic injury. And one of the things that I I tell all clinicians is that you really should try to create great expectations for these patients. A patient who, who is highly motivated after an amputation will very likely do quite well, especially if they were active prior to the amputation. There's no reason to think that they can't be fully modified independent ambulators again. In most cases, below-knee amputee will actually likely do much better after the below-knee amputation than they had done in the, fir- in the two years preceding the amputation, especially if those two years are spent you know, going to doctor's offices and wound care clinic visits every week for those two years trying to salvage a limb. In a sense, the amputation, when it heals and they actually get their prosthetic, is the first day of the rest of their lives. They get their lives back and they can they can spend their time with family, friends, grandkids, instead of having to sit in a doctor's office every week waiting for a wound to be checked or to be cleaned. So it's important to create great expectations for these patients and let them know that your goal for them is modified independent mobility or ambulation. the use of a prosthetic, even with their above knee amputees, with the right technology, with the right types of prosthetic equipment, fully mobile, fully independent mobility uh, is also a likelihood. And um, it's important for them to understand that. You know, when you're talking to your patients, goal setting obviously is a dynamic process. You want them to know that you're going to start out with, with some modest goals in the first week or two, and you want to build up with them. And that that you want them to have as much input in their goal setting as you do because you want them to kind of give you that indication as to what they expect of this. If you can exceed their expectations, wonderful, you know, but at the very least, just get their input at the beginning to see what it is that they want to get back to. And then it gives you a very concrete target as to what you're trying to work towards and and it makes the process have a very real endpoint. And then when you reach that goal, obviously you create a new goal. You, You set a new goal for them. And, and hopefully within that first year, you get them back to doing all those things that they had missed out on uh, for quite some time before the amputation. Absolutely. And, you know, we start on day one when we're doing our initial therapy evaluations. That's one of the first questions that we're asking is, what is your goal for therapy? I mean, I can write goals all day long. And right. you also, you can write goals all day long. But if that's not what the patient's goals are, then they're not buying into the process, I feel. Right. I think right. that if they need to have an idea of what they're really trying to achieve with all of this. Yeah. And that, you know, gives them, you know, some real buy-in for yeah. right. what this process is. We've seen so often, you know, when when clinicians uh, or providers start to talk to their patients, you know, unfortunately, some patients feel as though they're being talked to as opposed to, you know, talked with. And, and that's important that I think involving them in that goal setting, especially at the beginning is, is very, very crucial and to encourage them to make their goals dynamic, to let them know that it's, it's not, it's not just one goal we're going to be setting together, but it's a whole series of goals that will continue 
until you reach, you know, the lifestyle that you want to get back to. Sure. And like you were saying a few moments ago, you know, sometimes those goals that we're setting at evaluation or in those initial days, those are the goals for the first couple of weeks or yeah, the right. long-term goals might be for two months out, right? right but you're going to hit those goals at a certain point. And that's not an end game. That's not mm -hmm. a final point. Mm -hmm. We need to, you know, then take it to the next step. Mm -hmm. Some patients on day one, you know, they're not ready to consider the fact that they've got two flights of stairs to get into their son's right. house or whatever the right. case may be. And once they start with the therapy, start seeing the strength changes, the balance changes, they start getting that relationship with the prosthetist, they get their first socket, they get their first prosthesis. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Now, all of a sudden they go, I can actually, you know what? I could walk up a flight of stairs. Right. right. And then we're going to add that into the mix for their, for their goals. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. You know, something to bear in mind is that when a patient thinks about you know, a patient sees their limb or, or their residual limb after the amputation and, and they just think immediately of all the things they've lost. They think about all the things that they're not going to be able to do anymore. And it, it really takes a, a good therapist or, or a, a good clinician to come into the room and say, uh, let me talk to you about all the things that you are going to be able to do and kind of yeah. get mind onto, you know, that side of the, of the equation and let's start working on some of those things. You may not be able to do them, obviously, the way you did them before, but we will find ways around that. And that's what we, we do in, in the field of rehabilitation is, you know, we, we push forward and we think creatively to try to find ways to achieve these goals with patients. And whether it's using prosthetic equipment or adaptive equipment or a combination of the two, you know, patients are very often amazed at themselves as to what they can do. Uh, even after those first few weeks, once they receive their prosthetic. And so I, I think, I think goal setting is probably what I would, I would stress with uh, any provider when they first meet patients, you know, whether they worked with a thousand amputees or, or it's their very first one, always come back to the goal setting. I think that's such a huge piece of it. And like we were saying, you know, involving the patient, involving the family and the entire healthcare team is yeah. Yeah. at the end of the day, we are kind of all working towards the same thing, even if right. we're doing it from different vantages. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Rai, we have certainly covered some territory today, haven't we? Yes, yes, it's wonderful. <laughs> if I had to run down all the individual little topics we covered in the last half hour, I think people would be amazed to see what we've actually covered. Yeah, and it's, it really is just scratching the surface in this in this field. So, absolutely. You know, it, I, I hope to you know be welcomed back, and I I'm, and I. I'm always available to have these conversations. They're really great. And I think podcasts like this and the things that you're doing really will help, you know, push the field forward. Well, I can definitely say you would always be invited back, although I might have you bring me a coffee as we kick it <laughs> off, you know, that's just fine. to that's not really keep us going. That's easy. That's easy. <laughs> done. <laughs> done. Excellent. All right. Now I'm going to aim high. I'm going to start going for steaks and uh, bacon wrapped scallops or something say, like yeah. that. Yeah. I'm happy you started with coffee. Well, all right, we'll start with coffee. <laughs> we'll build up. <laughs> well, as we're closing out, I want to take a moment now and actually thank Dr. Rai as opposed to just hitting him up for food. Um, so thank you, Dr. Rai, for spending a few minutes of your Sunday morning with us on Limitless. Again, we are presented by the Academy of Amputation and Limb Difference Physical Therapy. And we look forward to seeing everyone and hearing everyone come back again. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen to Limitless. If you're interested in learning more about the Academy of Amputation and Limb Difference Physical Therapy, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and at our website, www.amputationrehab.org. 
I hope you enjoyed this talk today and stay tuned for more exciting guests and information coming to you soon.